0: Hi, this podcast is brought to you by Able Training Support Limited, who deliver over 250 engaging and informative training courses to settings that care for or educate adults or children. They deliver face-to-face, virtual and e-learning courses across the UK, and they specialising courses around understanding people and improving practice. Visit able-training.co.uk for more information.
1: Hey everyone. Welcome to Able, Able to Care's podcast. We are on our second episode today and today we'll be talking about positive communication within the care sector. My name's Nadine and I've been in, within the care sector for the last eight years now and I've been teaching for the last two years.
0: Uh, and I'm Andy. I, I'm head trainer of Able Training for over 15 years or so now. Um Yeah. That'll, that'll do. <laughs> so one of are going to be talking about communication. We're going to be really awkward all the way through this with our communication. So <laughs> it's our, our second episode in. Um, first off, thank you so much for everybody who's kind of given comments about the first one we did. Um, we've taken some feedback on, and we're one of the ones is we're a little bit closer together this time than we were <laughs> last time, because I think that was one of the comments before. Uh, we changed our microphones to flow out, so hopefully we'll, we'll do the second one, and everything will be even better than it was on the first time. But just thank you for everybody who's liked and commented, and sent us any messages, sport, um, and we'll, we'll keep these coming. So, yeah. So what's our, what's our subject to talk about today on the EDs?
1: So first off, we're going to be actually talking about communication itself yeah. um, and where it comes from. So from the Latin, it communes from common, which is something I'm often called, to be honest.
0: Yes. <laughs> As we go through the communication, you'll see two distinct styles of communication. <laughs> One's called posh, one's called common. We'll see if you can guess (laughs) who's who is we're going through. So, uh, yeah, yeah, Latin from communes. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that before this. So
1: no, actually. well, we'll be looking at different different forms of communication um, mm-hmm. and especially within care sectors, so different parts of the care sectors as well. Yeah. Um, but it's looking at the exchange of information, so speaking, writing, using other mediums as well. Um, yeah. And we'll look at different ways that we do, do that in a day-to-day basis.
0: Yeah, definitely. Also, I think we spoke about we're going to kind of focus on the kind of the talking side of things, but yeah, yeah communication now varies considerably doesn't it on how we yeah. communicate with each other on a day-to-day but predominantly in care there isn't many carers just texting um no. the, especially in the elderly care setting that no wouldn't get across <laughs> well <laughs> I, what I, mean.
1: I did read a study the other day the most common form of communication is still verbal communication but a close second yeah. is um telephoning or text yeah. messaging so or you know using, why, yeah, using yeah. mobile so that's a that's Some a close on. second now
0: yeah i don't i don't think that's um I don't think I've seen that perpetuate. I know in, in some of the children's homes at work and stuff, sometimes it will use text messaging with some of the young yeah. people and stuff, foster care again. Sometimes mm. it will. Obviously, they're going to text just like you would any any teenage kid, really, wouldn't you? Sometimes you're going to get more of a response rather than shouting upstairs, tea's ready, saying I'm a text. You might actually get a response. Remember saying, the
1: days when we used to send letters? <laughs> we used to write, never, write a my letter. My mum never wrote
0: me a letter <laughs> to tell me that tea was ready. But, yeah, I <laughs> I It would have been a bit cold by the time it got there with Royal Mail. But, yeah yeah (laughs) but yeah i do remember having pen friends and stuff like that and actually sending like love notes and stuff like that you don't really do it anymore do you not love notes you don't know No, (laughs) No, so um yeah okay so uh, one of the things we if we start off with the the means model uh the means reason and opportunity model so hopefully you'll be able to see that on the screen with the graphics and stuff like that and this is a Uh, A principle or a model that's used by speech and language therapists to kind of understand the, uh, the kind of the different aspects of communication, its complexities, because although we communicate every day, all the time, I think we take it for granted a little bit of how complex communication is, and most have been in a situation where well, definitely we have where what did you mean by that? Or we've said something that was kind of taken the wrong way or there's been a bit of a miscommunication. So miscommunication is a common thing that happens in care as well, isn't it? As far yeah. as you know. one of the
1: biggest reasons for conflict is mis- miscommunication as well. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: definitely. Um, so when we're looking at the the means, reasons and opportunity model, if we start off on the well, w- why we communicate, and you said there, one of them is is like conflict management is one aspect yeah. of kind of communication. Um, but we communicate for lots of different reasons. Like, one thing that commonly we communicate, as you just say there about like text messages, and, and so it's a social thing, it's just kind of how we interact and socially engage with other people because we enjoy, uh, or a lot of us in, enjoy talking and having a chat about things. Yeah.
1: Mm. yeah, well, I mean, we do it for a living, so we never <laughs> we stop, but yeah. You know? yeah,
0: we get paid to talk. There's just, yeah, really. there's
1: loads of different reasons. We do it to communicate feelings. I think that's one of the first and foremost things so even if that's via text message via letters which some people still do use um or it could be in any different forms of communication when we're communicating feelings we're letting somebody know how we're feeling and that's a really positive form of communication as well and then Obviously, other ways that we communicate, share humor, to share opinions and um, to warn others as well. Yeah. Um, I know drivers use their horns for, <laughs> and a few a choice words, yeah, but, absolutely. A, but it's still a form of communication. So yeah. it's warning other people Um, loads of different reasons why we use it.
0: Now, one of the things in the in the model, end, so we've got the reasons of why we communicate, but we've also got the opportunities. So the opportunities looks at situations that we have that opportunity to communicate and also the kind of the the way we go about communicating and the reasons we might be communicating kind of change depending on who we who we're with and where we are so you wouldn't walk into a bank and say i'd like something to eat but you would walk into a restaurant and say i'd like something to eat so it's even with just the environment and the intent of why we're there but also the way we communicate with different people as well so um we were kind of discussing the you know Winking at your partner is kind of a different meaning than winking at a stranger in the street. The same action has completely different connotations to it based on who we're actually interacting with. Also, um, it seems like how comfortable we feel in different communication forms can vary with who we're with. So we all know somebody who's very shy, for instance, and, but there'll be certain circumstances that they're not shy. You know, with people they really feel comfortable with or who know them really well, you might find they never shut up. But when it's the case of then you put them in a, a situation they're less familiar with or a little less confident in, mm-hmm. suddenly then their communication strategies seem to deteriorate and go away. And they may be viewed as, as then shy, but it may be actually their communication becomes a real challenge for them at that point. Or they don't know how to communicate in that particular circumstance as well, I think can be a, be a challenge for them. So, kind of in the um, in the diagram you've got there, it talks about the you know the time and place can make a difference. We all know we don't communicate quite as well when we're a little bit more tired, for instance. Um, but also shared language as well. Even if we speak the same language so if english is our first language we still have different uses of the language like me and you have laughed quite a few <clears> times about our different pronunciations of certain local, words lingo. And like <laughs> local lingo and stuff like that yeah where yeah. words don't end in a y they end in an a from, yeah. from one of us <laughs> anybody
1: from leicester will understand
0: absolutely yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why i get described as posh and somebody else gets described as common <laughs> so um yeah as far as that that it so said like the shared communication as well, like a certain high five you do with a certain person or a certain handshake you do with a, per- with a certain person. Also certain words or terms of endearment, for instance, that mm-hmm. you, know, you may not use with, with anybody else. So the kind of opportunities is, is quite worthwhile that just because a person isn't communicating the way we'd expect them to, it could be based on familiarity. It could be based on the circumstances. It could be based on what they perceive as a function. A, a great example of this is, like we've had a, f- a few new members of staff starting. And, and I always think no person, when they start a new job, it ever acts 100% themselves to start off with.
1: No, of course not. No, they, they've got to make a... Uh, we've got this thing, haven't we? We want to make a good first impression. So yeah. I don't know about you. I definitely put on a bit more of a posh voice when I first started. Yeah. Um, and then just slowly went straight back to Leicester. Yeah. Um, but I didn't want people to think all those things that I thought about myself, that I am slightly common, I don't pronounce my words properly and all those sorts of (laughs) things.
0: (laughs) It's also um, a factor as well that that communication we often, a bit like a similar kind of way, is synonymous with intelligence. That is somebody who can speak really well and articulately and maybe even use big words and things like that, is usually immediately assumed to be more intelligent. Uh, One of the things that I always talk about is kind of the split skills. And split skills is that we all have kind of certain cognitive abilities. Like for last week when we talk about different parts of the brain, Um, you know, we all know somebody who's very intelligent, but in there people say they've got no common sense. Because, but they're very different kind of skills. I feel
1: like you're aiming this at me a little bit, Andy, I'm not going to lie.
0: You've got a lot of common sense. Thank you. Um, but it's... um but it's, it's kind of the so the retention of memory or being able to retain certain um, episodic memory, like loss of information, for instance, and they can then regurgitate that. Then they seem to be intelligent, but it may be just been really good with memory. So then their executive functioning, their ability to, to plan or to stay uh, not get distracted or be able to kind of uh, organize themselves, may not be so good. So they're kind of two different skills, but they put in the same. And I think that's a common thing when we come on to those on the autistic spectrum, for instance, that obviously some individuals with autism are nonverbal. And I think the immediate assumption then is if they are nonverbal, then they're going to be less intelligent because yeah. they can't talk, they can't be clever. And obviously there's no correlation between IQ and communication skills, but I think it's a common mis, mis, uh, yeah, mis, misapprehension, uh, misinterpretation. Sorry, that's the yeah. word I'm looking for there. So are my communication skills kicking in. <laughs> the, more, the, more, the more I talk about communication, the more I'll mess up my words today. I absolutely guarantee you. Um, so just going back to the the model then for a second. So we've looked at kind of the opportunities using different communications in different situations. I think that's one of the things as well. Um, just referring to, we were speaking about it earlier. We've spoken about it a few times, like the COVID generation mm-hmm. as well. I think it's worth mentioning at this point, isn't it? That, yeah, um, You know, for for parents out there whose children were were kind of born and then raised in this environment where there was significant under socialization in comparison to what what we would have experienced when we were young.
1: I'm I'm seeing um so especially on training courses I speak to a lot of parents and I'm seeing a lot of parents that are taking their children around Bali age of 18 months to two years old because their ch- child has not said their first word yet and yeah. they're just pointing they're murmuring they're yeah. making noises not actually using language yeah and we know obviously that's a it's a little bit young i mean and it's different for different children of yeah, course, of course is, yeah. but there's, the numbers are rising in in that the, the children are having delayed speech a little bit but like you said it, due to not socializing yeah. mum and dad know everything that that child wants so why have I got to use communication if I can point to the biscuit jar yeah mum's oh you want a biscuit there yeah. you go and Absolutely. It, you know it's not anybody's fault it's it's a waste you know it's been impacted by covid
0: yeah definitely it's, and even when they're starting to use words like kind of um if I say bink you kind of know what I'm getting at. You know, I'm nearly there, but not quite there. So a parent might go, well, that's a really good start. But whereas a stranger, a friend would still go, "What, what are you on about? I don't understand what you mean. Either say the word properly or I don't understand you. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's hard for parents to then, they're thinking, well, I've got to be the one that teaches them all this, where usually it'd be through social learning and things like that, but that that availability isn't there in the same way. So it's going to be interesting how that progresses. I know that I've already seen with some, some friends and friends, family and friends, that there is already a significant improvement. It, it, yeah, I
1: think it's just giving things a bit of time. And yeah. then if you are worried or you just want more information, it's just going to see the GP at the, at the start, isn't it? Yeah, think so, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And again, it's just making sure you're aware of it. So it's a case of encourage them to use those right words and, and things like that as well. So there's a if I bring up a bit of a, a, a slide now, a graphic in a second for you guys, which is the transactional model of communication. So the transactional model of communication is a basic premise that for me to be able to communicate, I have to kind of formulate an idea in my mind. I have to have an idea. I then have to encode that idea into some sort of message. I then need to transmit that message. Whereas on the other side, you've got a receiver. They need to then receive that message. They need to kind of decode it into an idea in their head for it then to be interpreted and, and understood. So those different elements of communication we're referring to there, all of those will have room for errors. It's quite a complex process that if I don't encode my message in a way that you understand, then suddenly the whole thing's fallen to pieces. And it was a very simple way that was put over to me one time that communication is all about either understanding the other person's language or teaching them yours, which I think is quite a nice, simplistic way of kind of, uh, of, of getting the message across. So if we look at those different areas um, within that transactional model, there is two parts to it. There's a, there's a an expressive and a receptive side as well. And I think this is one of the things that people aren't always mindful of when it comes to communication. And just like we were saying there with somebody on the autistic spectrum, for instance, their expressive communication may not be great. But that doesn't give a measure of how their receptive communication is. So maybe able to understand every word that's said, they may just not be able to speak it themselves. And that's the same for for dementia as well, isn't it? That we kind of look at those as split skills within yeah. some dementia.
1: With within dementia, they are able to express communication, just probably not in the way that we're able to receive it. And that's yeah. where we get the conflict so it is a form of communication whatever they're doing yeah and it's as we're trying to as carers trying to decode it's same same in the autism as well trying to decode that behavior or that form of communication that's where things do can sometimes get a little bit tricky trying to understand the other person's communication at that time can be a little bit tough definitely i think
0: we all fall foul of that to a certain extent anyway yeah yeah. and it's
1: it's normal and i think a lot of carers feel quite upset sometimes where i just didn't understand what the person needed and wanted at that time and sometimes we don't have a crystal ball we don't always know what the person needs so that's where your perfect phrase comes in where it's be a better detective not a judge trying to find out so are you in pain are you not liking where you are at the moment is there something you need they're trying to communicate something both in autism and dementia, they will just find a different way to do it now because language language capacity mm. is, is not there. Well, it's not there. We all. now
0: completely class behavior is another form of communication. Mm. But so is everything that we kind of do. Even the way that we dress is still a form of communication. You're telling people about yourself, for instance, jewelry, body art, those sorts of things are still forms of communication. Our posture or even the way we do our hair, it kind of communicates information. We may not, always be doing it intentionally but you know if if your hairs is a mess and all untidy and all over the place for instance or if mine's flat and sticking up i was gonna say areas, what, lo- it, what look are you going you, for yeah, today you communicated <laughs> i might have been in a bit of a rush this morning i'm in the relaxed or, look <laughs> yeah my, my hair wasn't my preference today so you're no. still kind of giving yeah. over information at that point aren't you yeah so um uh, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, Meriband's communication theory? From yeah, yeah, so
1: this is a popular communication theory, but it has been questioned, so I will just put that out there, but it is something that I do like to refer to and use. So 55% of our communication is body language and our Thai facial expressions in with that as well. Yeah, 38% of our communication is vocal tone, and then only 7% of our communication is words. Um, if you look at other different kinds of theories as well, so if we have a different look at it so ninety three percent of communication is non verbal yeah. and only seven percent of it is actual verbal communication now, I think this is something that when I teach about it within dementia, autism, or whatever it is, even if it's just day to day conflict management and stuff, so that body language um I think you taught me this actually it stays in my head there's actually an advert for it as well, so. Within the first 10 seconds of meeting someone, it's so important. It's that first impressions and it's assumptions, isn't it? So I think is it by, by three seconds, by the, within the first three seconds of meeting someone, we're already starting to judge them. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of 10 seconds, we've decided whether we like that person or not, whether it's yeah. conscious or unconsciously. And we make our minds up. So I don't like that person. And this is why a lot of people say, do you know that person? I used to, re- I didn't like them at first when I first met them, but now I've got to know them. I really like them. That's because yeah. we made a really judgmental assumption on that person. Yeah. Now for people with autism and dementia, they still do the same about us as well. So the carers, when the carers come in in the morning and they're probably not, I'd probably the best night's sleep or the best start to the morning. Oh, come on then, she would get you up and get you ready. The, their facial expressions, not even just the words that they've used, but their facial expressions and their body language is telling that person, I don't really want to be here and I don't really want to get you up and have, have a wash. And it's really important within the care sector that carers are very mindful of that. But on the flip side of that, it's monitoring our service users' uses body language as well. We can tell and read so much from a person's body language in that moment. Things like pain, so facial expressions when they're expressing pain. I mean, not many of us tend to giggle and smile when we're in pain. I don't know if you do it, Anta. Is that not something you do, no?
0: Not often, no. No, that's it. I'm most not into people pain in that way. Yeah, yeah, most people
1: might not express that. And obviously we know with autism as well, facial expressions can be a little bit difficult. So is there something different in their body yeah. language or they behaving in a different way, for example?
0: Yeah, this it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And I think that's people kind of underestimate that a little bit as well. Um, you know, if I if I say, I use an example where I go, what's better? How can I help or what do you want? And and people always go, well, how can you help? Sounds nicer, sounds friendlier. But then I basically imitate it and put some body language in there where I kind of start writing on a page. I don't even look up at the person and just go, yes, how can I help? And, and the tone and the, my body language is actually being dismissive and negative. But then if I do it and kind of, put my pen down and turn to the person smile, and go, Hey, what do you want? I, I make it more playful. So it wasn't the words. It was the way that I projected it. It's a, my body language, my tone, my pitch, my pace, everything that gave further information. Cause we can sometimes, a prime example is we can say something we don't mean like, how are you? Fine. And it's the, uh, something about the body language. and so forth. Tell you so, face uh, that then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> something They're not fine. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> So there are actually only seven universal facial expressions. So uh, Charles Darwin, when he was um, developing his his uh, the, the concept of evolution or the, the, the mechanics or understanding the mechanics of evolution, kind of thought that it might be the case that obviously as we've evolved, certain facial expressions are universal. That we've all done them. There must be an evolutionary benefit to like smiling, for instance and a guy called Paul Ekman um, kind of did this study and and did further kind of investigation, and he found some of the key key tribes. He looked at, obviously, society in general, but obviously they could be influencing society through TV and kind of media and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. and we've all seen a smile, so as that kind of standardised? So he went and found a tribe that was one of the most remote tribes in, in, I think it was South America that he went to uh, visit this tribe and did a bit of a test on them to sort of see how they interpret facial expressions or what facial expression might get in different circumstances. And he found that there was kind of seven universals and they're so happiness, sadness, fear, disgust, anger, contempt, um, and surprise. So contempt is looking at somebody like you don't like them. So that's a, that's a particular emotion. All the rest seem to be cultural. So like sympathy as a facial expression is, is more a cultural um, way that we demonstrate that than others. Also, things like um, like you're nodding at me now to show active listening, but in certain cultures, it's shaking the head says yes rather yeah. than <laughs> nodding the head. So that can change from circumstances as well. Um, just nipping back to one of the other points you made as well about that that first impressions. Um, so when information's entering our senses, it's processed by both the emotional and rational part of our brain. We are not going to the full mechanics. I know we talked a little bit about the brain last week. But we kind of uh, process it through the emotional and the rational and negative facial expressions tend to be automatically trigger a higher level of emotional evalu- evaluation, which makes sense. Again, from a kind of a survival point of view, that somebody coming towards you with a grumpy looking face, well, they might mean me harm and therefore I might need to get ready to defend myself or to run away. So it tends to immediately trigger those kind of emotions in people. I think that's worth worthwhile kind of referencing on your point. Mm-hmm. Um one of the things with communication is, is people interpret things in different ways. Uh, there's a, an exercise that we sometimes do where we get people to draw a certain picture. I won't give it away completely, otherwise we will never be able to use the exercise <laughs> again. But we basically ask people to draw something, um, and everybody draws the same picture. And then basically we tell them that unfortunately they've got the picture wrong because they didn't do what we wanted them to do. Um, and purely an, an example we could use that isn't one we use is like a key. For instance, if I asked you to draw a key and you then did an outline of something you'd let yourself into a house with, mm-hmm. but I actually meant one of the things you put next to a graph to indicate what information is included within it, then you haven't done what I wanted you to do. But technically it's just because you interpreted the information differently. You just I use T use T. Yeah. T yes. could
1: be one of two things.
0: It could be it's a letter or it's a. Is there another one? That
1: I'm of? It could be a cup of tea or tea. It's in something to eat. Oh, right,
0: okay. And, and the letter. Yeah, so three meanings. <laughs> we throw an extra one in there as well. Yeah. But yeah, and, and it sometimes uh, depends on our point of view. So if I was just showing you a graph or just showing you a map and said, right, can you draw a key, please? Then that would, that that circumstance would help you to know what I meant more, whereas just the word on its own without any context means that it depends on your experiences, the way you perceive the world and and then you you do you make an assumption based on your experiences. So
1: And I think as well, though, as humans, we don't like to get things wrong, so Mm. we often feel like a little bit silly if um, we're asked a question and we say the. um, I know I certainly feel this quite often, to be honest. (laughs) But if we say an answer and someone says, "No, no, that's not what I meant," or "That's not right," and it's like, "Oh, okay, I just didn't. I must not have understood it," and it can make people sort of withdraw a little bit. I see this a lot in dementia. So, Mm. well, I don't get anything right. So there's no point me actually trying to say anything or trying to understand. And it, it it does you know, promote that withdrawal.
0: Okay. So one of the things that we've already started to try and introduce the idea is a little bit, just barriers to communication Mm. is the kind of last little bit to talk about just the general communication part. So, yeah.
1: Just in life. So I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you. You you can work (laughs) on minimal sleep, but a lot of people, a lot of humans really struggle with that. So things like tiredness can really put barriers into communication. People don't tend to operate soaking as much information or be able to, um, cognitively think about things when they are really tired. So mm-hmm. sleep is very essential. Yeah. We like a lot of sleep. Definitely, Well, you don't, but I definitely do. <laughs> <laughs> um, things like being in pain. So yeah. if you're in pain, we definitely don't concentrate or understand things as much as well as what we usually do. Um, h- um, hunger. So some yeah. people call it hangry. Some people get a bit hangry. If you're hungry, obviously that's a basic human need, isn't it? We need to feed ourselves. We operate yeah. better when we've been fed going to the loo how many times do we all cross our legs out oh just give me a second just need to go to the toilet and they can't actually concentrate on anything else or they don't want to engage in a conversation because that's at the forefront of their mind. they need to go to the toilet yeah and things like especially in the care sector medication um not having a favorite staff member on (laughs) that's even a barrier to communication so that person's not my favorite person i don't interact with them as well there's loads of different things. So it could even be temperature, environmental, yeah.
0: anything. I think there's it's, it's mainly two types. So there's internal and external barriers yeah. to communication, isn't there? And, Definitely and there. you mentioned quite a few of both of those in there. So the internal ones are things we feel. I think Maslow's hierarchy of needs, for yeah. anybody who's familiar with that. And um, that's kind of a good basis that if your basic needs aren't met, then why would you be listening to somebody telling you about something that might be important but it's not going to feel important when you're desperately hungry or needing the loo if you don't feel safe and secure you know if somebody's breaking into your house and somebody called you going oh I want to have a chat with you about this this uh work project I think you'd be going it's not important right now I'm not safe so I think those kind of basic needs not being met can mm-hmm. be barriers um there's also the kind of the we all do it when we're listening at times And It's probably more a barrier to listening than talking but where we're We're listening to somebody else and they're giving their point of view, but we're already started to formulate our idea in our head of either what we should be listening to from what they're saying or our counterpoint, especially when we disagree with what, what they're saying. Mm. Rather than actually genuinely listening to them, we start creating a counter argument in our head, um, I remember actually we did this in exercise on a training course once, didn't we? Where we did the cat and dog argument where I'm a dog person, you're a cat person. (laughs) Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did actually do that together, didn't we? Uh, And you express why you like cats and then I express why I like dogs. And we both genuinely listen to each other and then kind of swap roles. So I became the cat person, you became the dog person. And it's a little exercise that we do to kind of demonstrate that that's not how most people listen. Most people don't genuinely listen to what the other person says without judgment, without jumping in. But by doing that, it allowed me to see, okay, well, it hasn't made me a cat person, but I can see why you like cats. There's some bits in there that I can kind of relate to and understand. And you did the same about me being a dog person. And I think that's um, a key part of, of general communication strategy, isn't it? That, that sometimes don't jump in too quickly. We're trying to eliminate barriers to communication. One of those is the internal ones that we have. The other one you mentioned there is external a lot of noise is another example, mm-hmm. um, no matter what the situation, if you're trying to concentrate. I, I remember when I was, when I first started um, like training in counseling skills and stuff like that, and I started to learn more about genuine and active listening. And I remember it was um, somebody uh, at the time was kind of trying to talk to me when the TV was on, so I turned the TV off and then turned towards them to genuinely listen. And they told me, you don't need to turn the TV off. And I tried to explain, no, if you want me to genuinely listen, than I do, whereas before I'd always tried to multitask and it hadn't hadn't worked as well. So, um, yeah, that's it. that's kind of the barriers. But I think that leads us nicely into our kind of topic of one barrier to communication is actual then kind of cognitive abilities. Um, so, what are the challenges for those with with dementia or brain injuries? What might they struggle with related to communication?
1: So obviously, verbal communication may be impacted. We know a lot of people with dementia, it is usually impacted so not being able to formulate speeches so word production yeah. uh, being able to put a sentence together within brain injuries um it may be losing all verbal communication but only retaining certain words and being able to formally verbally be able to get those out uh, it's understanding language as the other side of it as well so understand what's being said to the to them so trying to understand the language being used and the words that's why we don't overcomplicate things sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, lots of different ways. So again, formulating speech production, understanding more complex sentences, and complex is different for everybody, I think. So, do you want a bath or a shower, or would it be better if it that was condenso bath shower, using words like majig for the remote and and yeah. those sorts of things? Yeah, I think it's quite it's it's a really really long list of different ways it affects it.
0: Yeah, one of the things I know that we kind of refer to is uh, obviously in about 95 percent of cases of dementia the brain deteriorates asymmetrically so the brain is affected more on one side than the other yeah the majority of cases um it tends to be the left side of the brain tends to deteriorate faster than the right and the left side is the area associated with expressive and receptive communication whereas the right side of the brain that retains is more around rhythm music um uh and, swear words. And, but yeah but there's certain language that's in there as well so we store different language in different parts of the brain so general vocabulary tends to be in this left side of the brain but the, the things that we're not supposed to say so swear words racial slurs nasty comments But also the kind of the rhythmic, the rhythm of speech. And I Mm -hmm. think that's a common thing with those dementia, that they kind of retain the rhythm of speech. Yeah. So they can do the general chit chat kind of thing. So if you're going, hey, how are you? Are you all right today? Oh, yes, I'm all right. Thank you. Yeah. It it kind of gives the impression that they're still able to communicate and they're they're kind of. They seem all right this
1: morning. Something I've heard quite often. (laughs)
0: Yeah, Absolutely. (laughs) And it, it may be just that, that we weren't asking difficult questions. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and as soon as then you try and go into something a little bit more in depth or a little bit more complicated that requires those different words to be found, suddenly that's where they get a little bit lost. Yeah. Um, I know, I know my, my gran and a few of the people that I, I know are brilliant at putting on the show sometimes as well, where because they pick up the rhythm of the speech, we kind of a bit like when we don't hear what somebody says, we know whether to nod yes or shake our head no. Yeah, so yeah. So it's not again it's that not what you say it's how you say it and they're picking up on your body language but mm-hmm. we sometimes tell them what we want them to say mm. so if i'm going to a person right are you ready to get up this morning yes yeah you're not gonna hit me are you <laughs> we're kind of they're just nodding and shaking their head along with not really understanding what i'm saying just because they kind of want that easy life and they just want to appease and yeah and, but then suddenly we start trying to touch them move them do anything and that's going to trigger then a reaction of I didn't know you were about to do that.
1: That's, that's just reminded me of a point. We had Um, we had a gent that we was looking after with vascular dementia and it would say, going to go to the doctors today. And it'd just be okay. Not really that 100% sure. Then trying to get him into the car, big, big behaviors. Yeah. And he's not understood that he's going to the doctors. And when we're trying to get him in the car, he doesn't want to go into the car. Not because it's the doctors I just don't want to go out. <laughs> yeah. So that's when we, you know, had a huge behavior.
0: Yeah again the carers had interpreted he must understand because he smiled and nodded yeah, absolutely of course. yeah um yeah so there's there's three things i think affects those who dementia one is memory retention yeah um it's remembering the words and remembering the, the the flow of a sentence as well if by the end of a sentence you've forgotten what i was talking about at the beginning of the sentence the sentence may not make any sense anymore no so if i go uh, right the doctor's coming to see you in a little bit okay um right he'll be with you in a minute well, who's he now? If I've lost the thread of that conversation, I've lost a memory of who you were talking about, the doctor bit, who? Who's coming to see me? So it, I, I kind of inform them keep using the same phrase. So the doctor, the doctor will be here in a minute. Or let's say your daughter's coming to visit. But then in case or she'll be here in a little while, or she just asked if she'd like a drink. Who'd ask if I'd like a drink? So it's the she suddenly becomes irrelevant because we retain that information to know that she meant the previous subjects, whereas they don't know remember what the previous subject was. So uh, the other one is is perception that, again, how can I call a mug if I don't recognize it as a mug? And I think we kind of touched a little bit on that on the, on the last podcast, that the perception of, uh, also facial expressions recognizing somebody's face mm-hmm. and, and knowing the face and the feelings but not knowing the name for that person and things like that so that can affect communication and the only is a filter and the filters a bit that stops you saying from the things that you shouldn't so like the swearing and the nasty comments and racial slurs and stuff like that um, it's that where we used to hold things back they might just come out the thoughts now become spoken mm. word rather than anything else um, I did think I'd just talk a little bit about Aphasia. So, aphasia is a term that we use for a difficulty with speaking. Um, like dysphagia is difficulty with chewing, but aphasia is associated with talking and communication. And there's two types. There's called Broca's and then there's Winnickies. um So, Broca's aphasia is affecting a part of the brain called Broca's area of the brain. Um, and I think this is this most affects the expressive communication. Um, so. Individuals who've got Broca's aphasia tend to do a lot of umming and ahhing. Um, they may make up new words for things. Um, they get stuck and can't find the right word for stuff. And that's one of the ones that people identify as being a particular area as far as or a particular factor related to those living with dementia. You, would you agree on that? We didn't know just really words. <laughs> when well, did you go into non-active listening then? <laughs> yes yes andy (laughs) so yeah the brock of aphasia where they struggle to find the right words so if i can't remember the words oh uh she's coming what's her name what's her um, and what do we tend to then do
1: tell them we tell them (laughs) okay
0: (laughs) thanks for joining in Um, um and one of the frustrating things for those with brockers is that people often like if i was to ask you kind of Uh, Or uh, if I was kind of be talking about, uh, you know, the things that make up a sentence or what they called the individual things and you get words, I might cause me to react like I knew, and I get irritated with you because how come you found that so easily? And I found it so hard and I was doing, I was getting there. I was trying and, and I should be able to, or the other one, is becoming upset by it as well. Kind of. Yeah, I
1: think as a carer, it's it. We feel like I know I've I've done this plenty of times, so I'll hold my hands up. We feel like we're doing them a favour by filling in the missing words for them. Yeah. So, oh, what's that thing that you sit on? Oh, do you mean the chair? Yes, I know it's the chair. And it's yeah. like, whoa, okay. Yeah. But if, I think looking from their point of view, like you said, I was getting there and you just didn't even give me a chance to get there. Yeah. But then it's also from a carer's point of view, we we, we we don't want to stand and stare at them for five minutes. like, come on, we know what you mean. Come and find the word. It's, it's getting that nice balance between of letting the person try and find the word. And if they're getting stuck can just reassuring them saying, It's okay, don't worry. It's you want me to tell you what it is?
0: I think a good analogy for that. If you're ever speaking to somebody who like jargon you mentioned earlier, for instance, yeah. or um, and somebody who's like really knows computers, and and you kind of go, I think it might be the memory, and they go, or oh, do you mean RAM? And it's like you knew what I meant. Why did you need to correct me? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And it's a bit like that, isn't it? Or the, yeah. the thing over there, you knew what I meant. Why did you need to remind me the word? And, yeah. And that can make a person feel stupid. Not trying to make them feel stupid, it can make them feel stupid. Um. Winnickan's aphasia is is a form of fluent aphasia. So Broca's is called is non fluent. So they stop. They are they're struggling to uh, 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 find the uh, word. That that's kind of a more a Broca's aphasia kind of communication. Whereas Winnickan's aphasia is fluent. So the pace of their speech and their tone of speech might be completely okay, but it may suddenly be that the the pigeons and the the, the the things that they're sitting on are, are no longer relevant to me. And, and I sometimes find that the way that I put the, the benches together is, is not the way that it should, you know, skyscraper. And that's, and again, that was a, a, maybe a very poor example in the way I'm trying to mock, but it's it's kind of the, the fluency of the speech is still there, but the words are all wrong and all over the place. And that's what's called Winnick's aphasia. And Winnick's aphasia tends to be, they also struggle with the receptive. So struggling to, find the right words. And that's the importance of understanding expressive and receptive, isn't it? That I may be able to use the right words, but a word you're using may sound like a foreign language now or a foreign word. Mm -hmm. And what a lot of people tend to do to overcome that is they just go louder and slower um we sometimes we teach people elder speak don't we as yeah far as don't we like it care. don't yeah.
1: like it at all so do you want a cup of tea yeah. i'm not surprised people but have behaviors if they're being spoken to like that it's quite belittling and i don't yeah. think carers mean to do it but we just automatically assume that they can't hear us yeah. so we end up talking louder now sometimes a loud loud speaking person it can be perceived as shouting yeah. um I always just tell people if somebody's not understanding your question, change your question, Yeah. change a few of the words around, and hopefully in that language bank, I, I kind of call it, hopefully they might be able to pick something out and say, oh, I recognise that. Yes, I do want a cup of tea, or yes, I will have those meatballs, whatever it might be. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, it's changing what we say. It's also remembering things like, I remember an incident where it was um, a carer talking to a lady, and and she kept going, do you want to go to Lou? The what? The Lou? Mm. What are you saying? Do you want to go to Lou? And you just kept getting louder and the lady was getting irritated and the yeah. carer was getting irritated and it wasn't until another carer just walked past and went toilet ethel and she went oh yes please yeah and it was just because the loo is also it's quite a difficult kind of uh two words put together that you can't really differentiate it flows it's also quite a modern term it mm-hmm. may have been the aphasia meaning that that didn't word didn't make any sense in that moment yeah or just the way the carer spoke wasn't right, but just kept repeating it over and over again. with just calling agitation and frustration rather than clarity. Um, And again, that's where the importance of adding in visual communication to what we're saying as well. Yeah. That could be really useful. Yeah. How can I ask somebody for a window if they'd like a drink? Well, if I just simulate it, would you like a drink, bring them a hand up in a kind of a, a drinking mime, then straight away that can aid that understanding, isn't it? It's really important and make it part of a habit. So I did write a little thing out as far as um, uh, also how those with dementia sometimes interpret language. Yep. So I'm just going to kind of I'll read this sentence. All right. Do you want to read it actually? So if you read the first one.
1: Oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> so if I the following two miss in every fourth, then you may it hard to what I am. This is how people living with may experience people are saying them.
0: What well, we done if, if we read the full sentence now? So if I read the following two sentences, missing every fourth word, then you might find it hard to understand what I'm meaning. This is how some people living with dementia may experience what people are saying to them. So one of the theories is that every one in every four words kind of disappears, so to speak, or is not understood. And you take out that one in every four words, suddenly the sentence becomes very difficult to understand, especially if it's nouns that are missed as well. Who, what, where, what, what are you talking about? Suddenly the whole context of the sentence can be missed. So, um, so what type of things can help?
1: So reducing the barriers. So if a person with dementia is communicating in a different way, if they are doing a bit of effing and jeffing, maybe there might be something going on. Are they in pain? Are they hungry? Are they tired? Are they just wanting some attention, which is yeah. not a bad thing at all. Reducing those barriers can help with effective communication. It's also
0: I think just turning the telly off. Yeah, if you wanted to have a conversation with them and they're finding it distracting, then can we ask them permission to turn it off before we explain something important as well as it? Yeah, also a big thing: one person talking at a time. One person,
1: yeah. it's too much. Yeah, yeah,
0: two two carers both communicating, that's two senders that then the person's having to receive both ideas and interpret more room for error and overload overload, definitely. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, allow visual engagement. So visual's really, really important. I think um you know, like you said with hand gesturing. So we recognize you want to drink, I yeah. think that's quite a universal thing. And yeah. uh, so that universal sort of body language would be is really really important using things like flashcards i think they can be really useful for a lot Mm. of people as well so if they're not understanding um the language maybe the picture will be more more prominent for them that'll be a lot better for them Uh, using alerters avoiding pronouns good pace of speak calm and clear which is what we like so not overloading a person with loads of information because it's just far too much um no older speak so oh would you you like a cup of tea do you want to come and have a bath now they'll probably tell you to jeff off Uh, there's other things as well things like ensuring glasses and hearing aids are available they're clean they're able to use them i know in dementia there are a lot of people don't use hearing aids because they may not want to they, yeah. i don't know if you've ever tried one andy they're not that comfortable to be honest so using their language so mirroring language is always mm. a really good positive form of communication and i don't mean shouting at them that they shout back um but if they're speaking in a lower calmer tone of voice then doing the, pretty much the same sitting down with words them. as
0: well isn't it like yeah. if they, they've got a like a colloquialism, which is a kind of a, a local term that they tend to use. well, using that same term yeah. may mean that they're more likely to retain it or remember yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. definitely. No. It's the kind of thing. Would you like a Would you like a BAP, a cob, a barn cake, a, yeah. whatever it is? As far as the which area of the country they're from, if you want them to, if they want them yeah. to have a BAP, do they use the term BAP or do they use the term cob? They may not understand that other kind of uh, yeah, colloquialism. No. Yeah,
1: I think one of the biggest things about it is is recognizing behavior is a form of communication. So yeah. it's not just listening to the words; it's listening to the feelings as well. So using both as much as you can together. Um, I had a gen, and I think I told you about him, didn't I he always used to shout home, home, home. It didn't necessarily mean that he wanted to go home. He just wanted to speak to his mom. It took us yeah. about six months to work that out. Right. And we could yeah. have reduced to, uh, I'll be honest, could have reduced so many behaviors. Well, is, due it, yeah, to that.
0: communication charts is really yeah. important. Yeah. And yeah. so if you hear us at what do they mean when they say this? And and sometimes, again, it's that detective from yeah. the judge thing that you kind of referred to earlier that looking for patterns that mm. when we did this, this seemed to then make them happy when they were saying that so is it something or within dementia and acquired brain injury it's being a bit of a a detective looking back at the past If they're saying a name what does that name represent who is that person to them is it the name that the person they're wanting or something that person used to provide for them that they're wanting as well um i had a lady who just used to chant molly and it turned out that her previous carer's name was Molly. And Molly basically meant, can I get a drink, please? Yeah. So, you know, once the carers kind of understood that, then it was a case of, wish she's shouting Molly. We now know what she's communicating. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, the other thing is is making sure you're not intimidating and, and standing over them or standing in a position that might make them feel intimidated. If, you know, Maslow's hierarchy, as you said, are they hungry or thirsty or in pain or anything like that? But also... Are they perceiving you as a threat? Are you coming across as friendly and it's managing your body language? Because this may be, you know, the hundredth time you've spoken to them. It may be the first time for them. Mm -hmm. So um, gone through a few bits there about as far as dementia is concerned, um, as far as autism as well. We we said we're going to speak a little bit about kind of autism communication. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as uh, communication with autism, so obviously autism is a, uh, neurodevelopmental disorder, which affects social communication, social interaction. So the the very nature of the condition means that their ability to communicate, their ability for social interaction may not be what we'd consider to be typical. Um, some of the things that we mentioned, I, I remember in the dementia section, you were mentioning about eye contact, for instance. Mm-hmm. see eye contact, maybe something that somebody with autism can't engage with, and it's, yeah. it's recognizing those differences that, just because they're not making eye contact doesn't mean that they're not listening. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something to really important to kind of recognise it, and whether they want our eye contact or whether they don't. So, with individuals uh, on the autistic spectrum, they can struggle with a few, few things related to um, communication. There's a couple of bits as far as pragmatics, which is the appropriate use of language in appropriate situations. So, like describing somebody and saying, "Hey, you're very fat." although it may be true, may be taken offensively if we say it directly to somebody's face. I
1: don't but think anybody a, would take that non-offensively,
0: <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> very, very unlikely. <laughs> maybe, maybe assume I wrestler wrestler because I work hard at doing it, going, yeah. oh, thanks, I've been working really hard. Um, <laughs> but it's a case of then not understanding well, why are they upset. I, that is just a sentence. It doesn't understand the context, so that may not be the right thing to say in this Course, moment. Yeah. Or, you know, walking to a shop going, it's very smelly in here and that not be a positive for the shop owners and people looking around kind of not being pleased with it, but it is factually true. So they can, they can struggle with the pragmatics sometimes of when mm-hmm. language is appropriate. Yeah. Um, also the uh, prosody, which is a rhythm of speech. So if I go, don't be silly, don't be silly. Exactly the same thing was said, but completely different meaning, completely different interpretation. But somebody with autism may struggle to differentiate between the two, the one yeah. I'm joking, one I'm telling off. So they may misinterpret it and go, assume I'm telling them off, even if I'm only joking and playing. Um, And this is where things like humor and sarcasm and metaphors sometimes don't work properly. No, um, things are
1: literal, aren't they? Yeah, very literal
0: literal interpretation. And that's one of the things when we're looking at improving communication with those on the autistic spectrum, it's say what you mean. Yeah, you know, if you're saying I'm going to be there in ten minutes, well, then you better be there in ten minutes. Otherwise, you lied. Yeah. So, did you mean I'll be there once I finish what I'm doing? Yeah. Which is what you actually meant.
1: The the people that I used to work with, it, it was a case of look, I'll just be, I'll just be a few minutes, or I'll just be, I'll be there in a minute. Yeah. Um, uh, Nadine, 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 and it's like, just give give me a sec. Well, the yeah. second's gone now, Nadine. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to be very very careful with your choice of words. Definitely. Yeah.
0: I I once um. Uh, told a lad, Christmas is just round the corner. And he went running off, got to the corner, and then burst into tears because there was nothing there. That's um, that's
1: awful of you, really.
0: Yeah. yeah, it was. I felt so bad what about a it. nasty at the time. man.
1: Um,
0: it panicked a kid because I said he had butterflies in his tummy and stuff like that. And yeah, and it, it's so easy. The idioms that we use: pull your like, socks up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Pick your feet up is another one. Like when they're shuffling their feet. Raining and cats
1: like. and dogs. Never used that one. I've yeah. never used. Yeah, yeah no. it's, it's. You know, um, don't get me wrong. I have met some people with all. Auto- that may understand yeah. slight humor and slight mm. oh, sarcasm. Oh, yeah, it doesn't mean there's any. Of
0: course, It's so yeah. a wonderful theory about this, which I think is really useful to understand. Um, and I think it makes a lot of sense that it's the, basically that most of us kind of when we're looking, at, if we're looking at woodland, we see the whole wood. We see all of the trees as a whole and we see the wood. Whereas somebody on the autistic spectrum, it may be a case that they see the tree. They focus in on the detail. So they wouldn't describe it as a wood, they describe it as a tree. Now, if you look at when we all the things we've been talking about related to body language and communication, it isn't just the words I'm saying; it's also how I'm saying it, the pace I'm saying it, the body language I'm saying with, the context I'm saying it, how close I am when I say it to you. All of these are also factors related to communication. So suddenly, if you are only focusing on one part, I miss the whole context of what's going on, and that's the thing. If I'm watching a a, a scene in a in a movie between two people. And I don't have the sound on, I probably would be able to tell whether they like each other, don't like each other, where it's a friendly conversation or angry with each other, you know, whether they're familiar or strangers and things like that without hearing anything that's being said based Mm. on certain glances, certain gestures, certain touches and things like that. So I'm looking at the whole picture as a whole. There's an exercise I do where I get people to watch a scene and there's a kind of a dot within the scene and they just have to focus on that, just that dot. And suddenly at the end, I asked some questions about do these people know each other, like each other, Uh, you know, what's kind of going on, what kind of emotions might be experienced throughout this scene. And when you just focus on the dot, you can't say, you can't answer the questions. So you miss the context and the subtext of everything that's going on. Yeah. I think that's, um, it must be a very confusing world and and a difficult thing to understand. I can imagine at times. Yeah, definitely.
1: In that big wide world out there, we don't make things easy for normal Diverse people, no, hundred percent, and we we're constantly don't. expecting
0: them to to join us in our neurotypical world.
1: We we are, yeah, especially
0: like those um, who are nonverbal, for instance. Of course, that, yeah. That our objective is to then try and engage in conversation, get them to use words rather than. But if somebody's on the autistic spectrum and they use pointing or can use picture charts or Pecs or a, or an iPad or anything like that to communicate, and that's the way that their brain works best to communicate with others. Then why are we for some change? It's like yeah. some language we use, isn't it? Like please and thank you. I find a if you really analyse please and thank you, mm. they're v- they're very weird constructs as far yeah. as who's thank you for the benefit of. Yeah, you know, if I if I give you a chocolate bar and I am expecting a thank you, that's for me. That's I'm wanting to thank you, not that you really need to give it.
1: Well, I'm going to remember this next time you make me a cup of tea. I'm just going to yeah, take
0: don't it. Just say <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Well, especially uh, this was a uh, it was a. An interview i had with it was a, a video watch of an interview with a guy with pathological demand avoidance which is mm-hmm. on the autistic spectrum and he was talking about that gratitude it said like i he feels gratitude at times if he's asked for something and somebody's done something nice for him he genuinely feels yeah. that gratitude but if somebody brings him home a chocolate bar, he likes a chocolate bar. It's not he really didn't doesn't ask like it. for it. He didn't ask for it. So why mm. should he be grateful for it?
1: And I think this is it with autism as, as well, isn't it? Sometimes behaviors may come across rude or communication may come across rude. Yeah. It's just a different way of communicating.
0: 100%. Yeah. I think probably a nice little kind of story to finish off before we just cover on a few tips for, for autism is, is I, I interjected with a situation where it was a, a lady who had asked an autistic lad a question Mm -hmm. um which was she'd just cooked a meal and she said did you enjoy your did you enjoy your meal and he then answered no not really um and she wasn't happy with this answer yeah Um, well i worked very hard on that meal and and that was very rude and he just went okay but she'd asked him a question he'd answered honestly she didn't like the answer that's That's her problem of (laughs) course rather than his (laughs) problem so then she was kind of going well i think you should say sorry he didn't understand why he should say sorry because he just answered the question as as he was asked, and then course, he showed him, yeah. "You know, I worked really hard on that. Okay, that's just information. I don't know what you want me to do with that information or why it's relevant." Mm. So then we said, "Say sorry." He said, "Sorry," just to appease her. He, but I could tell it was just a sorry, just said the words. But then she said, "No, you need to say it like you mean it." So then he oh, just yeah. shouted at her, "Sorry!" <laughs> Because it was a case of, well, what do you mean by that thing of say it like you mean it? So he just said it with more force because it's a concept of meaning something. He didn't have the meaning of it. He didn't really know why he was meant to be doing it. Um, and, and then she was getting very irritated with the lad because he perceived as being rude and mm-hmm. said, would you look at me when I'm talking to you? And that's kind of when I stepped in and said, no, I don't think there's any point in that. It's <laughs> a so, well, so very you, pointless conversation. Asked, yeah, you asked him a question. He gave you a nice answer. It's it's a you problem. Maybe it's a our cooking problem. was bad. <laughs> hey, it, it could have been. Absolutely. I had a, I had a, a lot of one of my courses I delivered. Um, he was wanting to be a chef and he, you know, he came on a food safety course with me. And at the end of the, the uh, halfway through the session, I said, "Are you enjoying it?" He went, no, it's boring. And I was like, "There was a little part of me that died inside." But <laughs> I also had to go. Fair enough. Yeah, I asked yeah. the question. I can't be upset with the answer.
1: Yeah, that's it.
0: So I think with um, final points as far as helping somebody on the autistic spectrum. Yeah. Be clear what you're saying and say what you mean. If you don't tell them to put the drink on the table. Ask them to put the cup on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> put things in the right order as well. If you go, can you go upstairs after you finish this, then you've given it the wrong order. They're going to go up the stairs first. They're not going to do the thing you wanted. Yeah. Say things in the right, you know, switch, off to the, switch on the kettle after filling it with water. The, the water needs to go in first. Otherwise you're going to have a, a dry yeah. boiled kettle. Um, avoid idioms, metaphors and dual meanings like, you know, key, key, as I mentioned earlier. It's the sensory issues. D- limit distractions a bit like with those on the autistic spectrum as well sorry mm-hmm. on the uh with dementia limit barriers to communication as much as you can yeah if they're sensory seekers so they're wanting lots of sensory information and i think it'd be good to do a podcast about sensory oh yeah, sensory processes, yeah or at some definitely. point um then they might want more sensory stuff on can we stimulate them by having them fidget toy or something to chew on or mm. um, you know being sat in a bean bag or something like that so they're getting external sensory information they might find that they can listen to you better Give them time to process as well. Don't say something, then say it again, then say it again, then say it again. Just sometimes it will give them a few moments to to kind of process the information they've been exposed to. And uh, similar to dementia, one subject, one sentence. Yeah. Don't kind of. Mix I mean, I word. think we
1: could use that in everyday life instead yeah. of overloading people. Couldn't we? So
0: one thing at a time. It take a long time to say stuff. <laughs> Would in your world. <laughs> <laughs> So I think to uh, to kind of summarise on the on the podcast then, if we go back to the kind of the means, reasons and opportunities model, that people have lots of different reasons that they communicate. We need to give them the opportunities, making them feel comfortable to communicate in their way with more people, yeah. uh, and also recognising where their strengths of communication and maybe their difficulties are, and adapting to them rather than forcing them to try and adapt to us. And I think the last one there, as far as means is concerned, is being very mindful of our own communication, how yeah. we come across, related to our body language, but also listening genuinely to them and picking up on all. Their it's a two-way values. thing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, and also allowing them and, and providing opportunity for them to communicate in the in the best way, whether it be through Makaton or PECs, or as you mentioned, even dementia like picture charts, or mm. allowing better communication with with miming out kind of phrases. Um, so communication, said one of the biggest challenges, and and can cause a lot of confrontation and challenge. Um, but also, it's one of the things that a lot of us enjoy. is we are social animals. We can communi- do
1: it really positive. for that. Is communication
0: yeah. in a way that comfort of that person allow them to engage and feel confident in it. Yeah. That's so, it yeah i think we could obviously cover this there's probably another whole another podcast we could do on on communication going to part two
1: moment. coming soon <laughs>
0: <laughs> but i think from a standpoint yeah i'm happy with that all good okay so thank you very much thank you. you thank you for watching this episode of the podcast please remember to like comment and subscribe to support us or send us an email at podcast at able-training.co.uk to get in contact with any stories, questions or comments. Thank you very much.